Well, welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. I'm glad you're with us. It's Monday, November 23rd, 2020, and this is a crucial week for President Trump and his legal team. You know, the president is in a race against time itself because states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, they are set to certify their final results this week. Arizona, Wisconsin may follow after Thanksgiving. So can the legal team stop certification before electors are chosen in early December? And speaking of the legal team, Sidney Powell and Trump's lawyers going in different legal directions. Powell no longer on the legal team. And my personal communication with her, Powell tells me that she will be coming on the water cooler after she files her first voter complaint in court. So stand by for that. And the liberal media under the microscope by none other than the liberal media themselves. The founder and CEO of Axios, Jim Vandehei, is here to discuss the media's huge blind spot. But first, while Joe Biden continues to name his national security team, including, yes, former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry as a special presidential envoy on climate change, Oiga Volt, there is still a recount going on in Wisconsin. Biden is ahead there by about 20,000 votes or so, or, or so. Today, we want to take you inside the recount. What does it look like? Is it fair? All of those questions answered today. We're joined by a volunteer Trump attorney. We want to have her remain unidentified because she's technically not supposed to talk to the media, but she wanted to get the word out about what's going on inside the recount at the Wisconsin Center in Milwaukee. Let's bring her on now. We'll call her Jane uh, to hide her identity. So Jane, thanks for being here on the water cooler. Glad to be here. Well, why don't you tell me what you were tasked to do, first of all, and what you've observed so far at the Wisconsin Center. We have two groups of people helping the Trump campaign with a recount. Basically, we have a team of volunteer attorneys and we have a team of observers. The observers are the folks who actually get to sit at each table and view the recount, make objections, and so forth. The attorneys roam the aisles and assist those observers in making those objections solving any conflict, diffusing issues, that sort of thing. Okay, and so before we get to any more details as to what you observed, we actually have some video uh, inside the Wisconsin Center uh, furnished uh, by you and your team there. I, w I want to play some of this video. We're going to play it to what we call sound full, so you'll get a kind of a sense of what's taking place regarding social distancing and, and, and this idea that uh, you really can't even read any of the recount going on there with the ballots. Ha have a look at this. Your entire body. You're probably covered in it, your entire body. You walked over Thank you for getting a proper map. Oh, my gosh, your first one gets COVID. Can you back 
I mean, uh, Jane, clearly tensions running high. Explain some of that video because there was like what a, what a foot over the line and you have to be behind the chair. What's going on there exactly? Wow, that's just a small snippet of the, the kind of COVID nonsense that's going on. So that yellow tape that you see on the ground is supposedly six feet from the table. The poll workers are seated at the table behind plexiglass. They're the only ones who can handle the ballots or the ballot applications or ballot envelopes. Our folks' chairs are behind the yellow line and they must, must, must remain behind the yellow line. Our folks need to either be seated with not a toe across the yellow line, not even your knees across the yellow line. They can't lean forward across the yellow line. Or they may stand behind the chair, which of course puts them further back away from the information they're supposed to be able to review. Yeah, so how are you even, how is a poll observer even supposed to be able to tell if these vote, the vote counting is, is accurate or not? Well, I don't know. And I think we've argued it till we're blue in the face, such that we're not even allowed to make that objection anymore. They've, they've lodged our complaint and they're done with hearing that objection. They've said categorically, your folks can see just fine. And that's the end of it. So yesterday, in an attempt to aid uh, our folks, some of them started using like a magnifying function on their phone to be able to blow up the information that's laid out on the table. And as of yesterday afternoon, they can no longer do that either. It's, it's quite difficult. Yeah, and I understand that there are cell phones that at one point you guys were trying to get kind of a magnifying view of the ballots a little bit. I mean, not to obviously reveal any sensitive information, but at least get a better look. And now potential binoculars maybe being brought in or what's going on there? Some of our folks uh, brought binoculars yesterday. I don't know if there are any more today, but the idea was, gosh, if we can't even use the magnifying function on our phones to blow up the ballot information so we can review what we're supposed to review, then maybe we can use binoculars. So we can no longer use any Zoom option um, using our phones because the, the, these folks say, well, we don't know if you're taking photos or videos of sensitive information. And I get that, but we can easily show them that we're not taking photos or videos, but that's not good enough. So at this point, we're left with six or seven feet away. Yeah, what, tell me a little bit more of the tension behind the scenes. I, I, you, you described some of it, but, but how, how tense have, have things been? Because there seems to be a lot of bickering back and forth. High tensions for sure, uh, especially yesterday and the day before, some this morning as well, folks have gotten kicked out. Um, just this morning, there was a, a gentleman from the Democrats party complaining that one of our observers was coughing into her mask. And so she needed to go outside to finish coughing before she could come back in to keep observing. So there, there's a lot of that kind of nitpicking and nonsense, uh, mostly from the Democrat folks, the Biden folks, some from the ele election officials as well. The poll workers, by and large, are, are quite pleasant. They're doing a nice job. Uh, but some of them, too, are, are intent on not allowing us to view what we need to be able to view. 
You know, we're, we're running some video, and if we can continue to run some of that video we were just showing you, because uh, there are some pictures in there uh, of ballots that are just on a table. They're unattended. Uh, we'll get to it eventually. You'll, you'll see it in there. I mean, what's going on? I mean, I mean, talking about these ballots need to be secure, and they were just like on a table. There wasn't much going on. They're just piling them on tables, and every now and then somebody will stroll over and kind of take a look or sit down for a little bit, then they'll walk away. But, um, you know, there's they're sensitive information certainly throughout the room, but it was disconcerting to some of our observers that piles and piles of ballots were just sitting out on tables, and anybody could have gone over and taken some, added some. I mean, it was not difficult to do. Jane, what's the process at this point? <clears throat> Excuse me. What will happen from this point on? Uh, when does it have to be wrapped up? Uh, what will your role be kind of going forward? And what do you expect? Uh, you think the fight will intensify or what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, we're trying to process 640,000 votes in Wisconsin County alone. We got a very, very late start on Friday afternoon. So I think they're quite behind. I think the Election Commission wanted to complete it by or before Thanksgiving, that is not going to happen. We've got both the city of Milwaukee and the suburbs of Milwaukee that we're, that we're processing. So I, I'm assuming that they're going to continue. I know they're, they're going to have to continue through Thanksgiving and beyond. They have a deadline, I believe, of December 1st, by which they must be finished. Let me ask you about objections. If you or if one of the poll observers, one of the Trump poll observers, or for that matter, Democrat observer, if they have an objection, then what happens? What's the process there? Because that I know there's been complaints by Democrats and election officials that the Trump folks are, are asking for so many different um, stoppages, if you will, to check this and check that. What's the process there exactly if you, if you want to challenge a ballot? Well, what we've ended up uh, agreeing to is the three standing objections so that we can streamline it a little bit or else we would be objecting to just about every every ballot. Uh, but the problem is that when we lodge our objections and they're taken to the front table where the commissioners are, there are three commissioners, two Democrats and one Republican, our lead attorneys and present those objections. They are discussed and ultimately rejected. Right. So. We, we don't get any of our objections um, agreed to or, or accepted, but those are set aside as exhibits. And so hopefully we're, bu we're building a good record that can then be taken up on appeal or presented for a, for a full case before a judge. Yeah. And Jane, uh, I got 30 seconds or so. In your own words, why did you feel it was important to come forward? I want to hear that from you rather than us trying to explain why you came forward. Why, why, do, why do you feel like this is important to get out? This has been an amazing and eye-opening experience. This is my first time doing something like this. And there are hundreds of people, literally from all over the country, who volunteered their time to come do this on their own, because it's just that important. If uh, you don't have a vote, which is the only power a citizen has, then you have nothing left. Jane from Wisconsin, a volunteer Trump attorney, really appreciate your time uh, joining us by uh, Silhouette. Thanks so much, Jane. Thank you. All right, uh, when we come back, we're going to shift our focus over to the media. Uh, the media is getting criticized, and this time it's not by conservatives. It's by the liberal media back in the moment. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, You've heard of the movie The Reckoning. I don't know. I'm just making it up. I have no idea if there's really a movie called The Reckoning. I'm assuming there's got to be a movie called The Reckoning. Anyhow, in that movie, if it's even if it even exists, um, there's this reckoning when it comes to you know, what will happen next, uh, the, the credibility issue. When we're talking about credibility in the media, we want to bring in Jim Vandehei, uh, the founder and CEO of Axios, who wrote a real compelling article uh, the other day about where the media stands in America today. Jim, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, talk to me a little bit about this. I mean, it c- kind of got the media and, and many others to kind of wake up to say, hey, let's look in the mirror here for a second and see where we're at uh, in terms of how we cover American politics, and not just American politics, but really even beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody in general, but the media in particular, has to have the humility to do some self-reflection. There's things that we got right. There's a lot that we got wrong. And I think the media needs to come to grips with this notion that it appears there's 50 percent of America that most publications just don't understand. They don't understand the Trump dynamic, the fact that Donald Trump despite all the coverage, all the things that he did and all the things that he said, that he'll end up getting 10 million more votes this time than last time around, that he'll outperform uh, among Hispanics in, it looks like 78 out of the 100 counties with the highest percentage of population being Hispanic. He's overperforming 2016. There's some uh, neighborhoods, uh, some states, some cities uh, where he way overperformed even among African Americans. So something was happening out there that the media wasn't picking up on. And part of it was the polls, which were were wildly wrong. People should stop uh, defending them. Yes, you can find an outlier that was right. But for the most part, some of them were atrociously wrong. And we need to do some examination so that we can understand there are two very different Americas out there. Uh, One, I think that reporters are pretty familiar with because it tends to be centered in big cities, uh, tends uh, tends to be sort of in the circles that a lot of reporters run. But once you get out, you get into rural areas, get into suburbs, even some of those folks in the cities, they just have different values. They have different views about how quickly the country's changing and the effect that technology and all these other currents are across currents are having on us. And if we don't get that right, like my point is what I worry most about is that we just decouple, that we essentially move into a nation where we don't just talk in theory about two Americas, that we truly have two Americas in terms of where people get and share uh, information and that there's almost two truths. And if that happens, I think we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, let me read you a couple of the excerpts that you wrote. So I don't have to remind you what you wrote, but I think people would like to see it nonetheless. This is what you said. Uh, The media remains fairly clueless about the America that exists outside of the big cities where most political writers and editors live. The coverage missed badly. The surge in Trump voters in places obvious like rural America and less obvious Hispanic heavy border towns in Texas. And then you go on to say, let's be honest, many of us underappreciated the appeal of Trump's anti-socialism message and the backlash against the defund the police rhetoric on the left. 
And finally, you say the bottom line, we are losing the war for truth. There is no bigger crisis for media, politics, and society than the growing number of people who do not believe facts and verifiable figures. If we do not collectively solve this, we are all screwed. Uh, I believe I would say amen to that, Jim. Uh, the question then becomes, you've got a media that has a credibility problem because the media cries out, believe us, believe us. We're the, we're the arbiters, if not the arbiters of truth. We're, we're fact-checking. Uh, these folks, but what happens when the the folks out there, the, the regular folks in America, don't believe the fact checkers? Yeah, and to me, it's a problem that we all have to think about. And to be honest, all of you who are watching this have to think about it at an individualistic level. If we suddenly say that that facts or verifiable figures that are inconvenient to us are just not true, you're in a hell of a lot of trouble. Like the, the issues that are confronting all of us as a country really all of us as a people, they're, they're more complex than ever. They're not going to get easier to solve if you think about these platforms, if you think about artificial intelligence, if you think about robotics or climate change or just changing demographics of the country. This is tough stuff. And if you don't have sort of a shared understanding of, okay, look, here's a sandbox of facts from which we're going to work from, then, then I don't know how you would ever get a solution, much less solve the sort of the political uh, nonsense that we have and sort of some of the, 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 the sort of name calling and, and kind of coarseness of politics. I worry about like the real big things that need to be solved. And I think media has a role in it. It's not the only role. Like, listen, there's no doubt that Donald Trump as president made it harder. He, there's, uh, it, it is just a verifiable fact that he has told more inaccuracies, more lies than other presidents that we've been able to track. He just does. And I think even most uh, Trump supporters say, well, yeah, he does. I guess he does. That's probably true. But I like the results. Well, you might like the results, but if you start to say that truth doesn't matter or institutions don't matter or that you don't even really need a free press if you don't like what it's uh, writing or reporting, that's a real problem. And you better figure out a different solution. Right. I mean, democracy is a fragile thing. Capitalism is a fragile thing. Both awesome and, and, and it's been awesome to date. But there's nothing written in the global constitution that we get to continue to be the global yeah. superpower. And I'm a big believer that our, our system is better than others. And I want to make sure that we all get it right. You know, it's interesting, Jim, as much as the media loves to fact check the guy. And believe me, I, I got to tell you, I feel like they fact check him a whole lot more than than previous presidents. And I, I mean, it just seems like they're in overdrive on everything he says. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that one of the things that his supporters love about him is that they see him as a truth teller. Uh, I don't mean necessarily on the facts, but on this this idea that he's a he's a guy that overturns tables and and reveals lifts the curtain and doesn't like process. And they, they love that about him. Yeah, I get it. And a lot of my family are Trump supporters. I know uh, I spend a, lot, a good chunk of my uh, my my waking time in, in areas where, where that are sort of Trump country. I, like what I would say to them is what I'd say to my family. What I say to my friends is, yeah, I get like that you like the end results, but I would do a real gut check on whether or not saying things that aren't true or or, or sort of name calling or just doing things that, that you wouldn't want your kids doing, right? Or that you wouldn't want yourself doing in a relationship with a spouse or a friend. Is it really good for the country long-term? Like, yes, the media could calm down and it's too hyperbolic and undoubtedly see certain issues through a partisan lens. And that's what the media owns. But I would say for the Trump supporters, and I hear from you all the time, talk to you all the time. I would just caution against this idea that ah, Trump's just a real truth teller. Like, well, sometimes well, well. he is, but often he stretches 
things in a way that we're not used to. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've never seen anyone else do it at the scale that he does it at. I understand that there's appeal, a big appeal to that uh, for sure. some who've grown weary of us in the media or weary of big institutions, but there is a long-term cost to pay. And I think that is what we can all reflect on individualistically. Well, I hear you on that. I mean, it's, you know, the Trump supporters will say actions speak louder than words and they just kind of, you know, kind of laugh at his words, but you know, they, they see the final result. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's a good, great conversation. Jim, Real pleasure to have you on, sir. Thanks so Thanks, much. Man. Take care. All right. Uh, Jim Vandehei from uh, Axios, CEO, founder. Uh, back in a moment with a whole lot more show, including a closer look at the Constitution and COVID-19. Back in a moment. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. It's Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. I'm going in for thirds, FYI. I'm just letting you know. Uh, just, just, And that's on the record, by the way. And clearly, I'm going in for thirds, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but look, besides the turkey and the cranberry sauce and all that other stuff, uh, here's something else everybody needs to take this Thanksgiving. A chill pill. Okay, let, let's dial down the rhetoric. Let's have a nice Thanksgiving meal. And let's not, I don't know, let me think, kill our relatives, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, jo- joining me now, Dr. David Camp, the principal of the Dialogue Group, uh, who's here to talk more about that. Uh, Dr. Camp, great to see you. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. It's great to be here with you. Uh, well, talk to me a little bit about, uh, we'll get to some of your books in a moment because you've written on the subject, but overall, uh, what are some, what are some, some advice for folks that are going to gather this Thanksgiving and it's, it's politically charged? I mean, what do, what do you, how do you break through some of that? Well, one of the things that's important to do is to focus on asking questions. Uh, some of what we do is to, we argue about our beliefs and more useful is to ask people questions about the experiences that created their beliefs. And because an experience-based conversation is so much more connecting at the heart level than a belief uh, conversation. And I think that itself can shift things to in, a, in a different way, in a positive way. Even if you have different beliefs, you talk about the experiences, it creates more connectivity. That's one thing. That's very important. No, that's a great point. The experience will play on the emotional uh, connection uh, for sure. Uh, I want to ask you about one of your books. You've got you got so many, but uh, you know we don't have time for all of them. But at least a couple of them. One of them is called "Compassion Transformed Contempt: A Black Dialogue Expert's Advice for White Progressives on Down Revving Anger, Creating Connections, and Maybe Changing the World." Talk to us a little bit about that book. Well, th- one of the things that I think drives our politics in a negative way and we see it from the election, is that a lot of people on the left voted that way because they don't like the president. A lot of people on the right voted that way because they don't like people on the left. And some of the reason they don't like people on the left is because of how people on the left treat people on the right. They often have contempt and disdain, and they, they call them deplorables, and they, and they treat them like they're uh, stupid and not, and not morally worthy. And so one of the things that I try to get people to do is to uh, uh, take, adopt a stance of compassion for people and understanding and curiosity in order to subvert some of that. I think if we're, I mean, the, the Russians are attacking us because of our divisions and, and uh, we're so polarized. 80% of Americans think polarization is a problem. We need, uh, this is a call to progressives to do something about that by being 
you know, a, a more of a stance of compassion and curiosity than like trying to slam people for being wrong all the time, which I think is something that both sides do, but there's a special way that progressives do it that they need to stop doing. Yeah, because you've got about 70 million people or so or more now that have voted, that voted for President Trump uh, who are- they ain't going nowhere. No, they're not going, that's the thing. Yeah, talk to me about that. You're right, they're not going anywhere. And so what do, you, what do you do with half the country that feels frustrated at this point? Well, exactly, so, so even around this election, right? Part of what we have to deal with is like not only do we feel different about the candidates, but now there's a, there's a bunch of people who feel uh, like the election was stolen. You just had a segment on that. Right now, I, I encourage people right now to even if you can't get with the it, it was stolen idea, talk to conservative people about their grief because whether even if the election was fair, if it's gonna if it's gonna work out to be that Trump lost, there's gonna be grief involved. And if people have felt grief, uh, you, you could, no matter how mad you are at Trump, if you've ever felt grief behind an election. You can, you can relate to that. You can talk about how positive it was that so many Americans voted. More Americans voted in this election than any election in history in terms of the portion of the voting age population. So there was no violence at the, at, uh, at the election. A lot of people worried about that. So there's things to talk about about politics. You don't have to just avoid the topic and to, to still talk to somebody who disagrees with you. And part of what I'm trying to communicate is that we need to make it our patriotic duty to not avoid these conversations, but to not have them in the same way that just furthers our division. And I think it's possible to do that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great point. And talk about the divide. I mean, what about the digital divide? I mean, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, we're all going to our own cocoons, and especially even on, uh, on Facebook and all of these social media platforms. Uh, what, what do you say to folks that are, you know, basically kind of holding up camp in, in each one of these areas? Well, one of the things that I suggest that people try to do is if, if they're gonna try to engage the other side, if you haven't completely made your, um, made your feed just like you, then try to have conversations with people in private, like a direct message. Because when you're trying to talk to people in a public space, people are less likely to want to talk about their experiences or want to talk about um, the, the sort of the edges of their beliefs. They don't like to do that. So, so that's one thing I suggest people, people go private on that. But I ultimately think that we, as a society, have to deal with that. Like, like I, I think that, um, um, whoever's next president, I suspect it'll be uh, Mr. Biden, one of the things we need to do if he wants to do some healing work, he needs to have a kind of a commission looking at the way in which these social media feeds are making us all polarized. But at the same time, he needs to have an effort to try to connect people across divides. I think there's opportunities in that. Now that we're all stuck in the house because of COVID and we all know how to use how to Zoom or Skype or whatever now, we need to take advantage of that because we need to have efforts to try to bring the left and the right together over the distance of the computer to have conversations we don't normally have. So I think that we need to attack that directly. And that can't, that's the, politicians need to help with that, but we can do that ourselves. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Uh, Biden's got a tall order. He talked about unity throughout this campaign. He talked about restoring the soul of the nation. And, and now it's like Jerry Maguire, right? Show me the money. I mean, sh sh you know, put up or shut up. I mean, how, how are you going to unify a very divided country? I mean, I would think Joe Biden not just from a digital perspective, but he's got to figure out ways that he can do that. Are there any certain ways he can break through? Well, so one of the things he needs to do is something that, remember Trump, remember there's going to be infrastructure week so many times that Trump never got around infrastructure week? He needs to do that. And, he's, and so number one, he needs to actually do that uh, and, and to focus on and to make sure that both rural America and urban minority America gets a certain amount of focus because I think that that'll help us help us be united. But secondly, we need to have, for example, the contract tracing thing, contact tracing. We need to have, a, I would say, a large scale effort that is specifically designed 
to where people work in their own communities, but you can arrange that where they get trained and are matched with people who are different than them. Because part of what, what breeds this disconnect and polarization is we don't know other people not like us, both not like us racially and not like us ideologically. And so my point is that he can um, do things that are explicitly about the divide, as well as do things that are about growing the country, and then have things do that in a way that is helping heal the divide. Uh, but I also think that, um, you know, you know, Representative Al Green from um, from Houston, he wants to have a Department of Reconciliation. Now, he's focused on racial issues, which I think is a big issue, right. but but there's bigger than that. So I, I would I work for the president, President Clinton's initiative on race. And I think that right. these national efforts to try to get people to talk, get people to interact, especially now we have other okay. mechanisms of talking, like on the computer, we need to pursue that because this polarization is just harming us so terribly. Dr. David Camp, great to speak with you. Some great ideas. We'd love to have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, that was great. Uh, Dr. David Camp, the principal of the Dialogue Company. Uh, great stuff. I hope people will take it to heart. We're back in a moment with a Constitution lesson. See you in a moment. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. I don't know about you, uh, but when it comes to Thanksgiving, I'm having some major turkey. Obviously, it's a given. I'm having some uh, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, stuffing, the whole nine yards. And guess what? This year, we're having a huge helping of COVID, unfortunately. Uh, when it comes to the Constitution and COVID, it's out of control, as in the word unconstitutional. Let's bring in Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, who's uh, back with us. And Rick, great to see you again. I really appreciate you being here. Hey, you bet, David. Good to be back with you, man. Well, what's going down at the, the Green household? How are you guys doing Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, are you guys just uh, fighting over 95,000 people, your closest that's, friends? That's our plan. We're going we're gonna to try to have the largest Thanksgiving gathering <laughs> in history and send pictures to Gavin Newsom and all the other tyrants that are trying to rain on everybody's Thanksgiving parade. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Gavin Newsom got an invite to me uh, from me, but sorry, he just didn't respond, so that's unfortunate. <laughs> Uh, right. Hey, hey! listen, when it comes to uh, Thanksgiving and COVID, how do you kind of navigate the world of there are some people that are concerned from a health perspective? Look, I get that, but I'm sure. also wondering at the same time, there is something called the Constitution that seems to be a pretty big issue out there, too. So how do you how do you marry the two? Because we don't want to get into COVID shaming, but, you know, we, there's there's bigger issues, too, out there. Yeah, we used to call it freedom. Uh, you know, we used to believe in individualism and, and let people decide what's best for them. One size fits all has never worked in America. We've never been for that sort of thing. And we should let individuals decide, especially with something like this that affects so few people. I mean, if we were dealing with Ebola, 50% death rate or smallpox or even Spanish flu back in 1918, which had, which had a 2.5% case fatality rate and kids were dropping like flies, I mean, it would be a different story. Not that you would still say government had the authority to force people to do things in their own home or not allow them to get their family together. That would still be unconstitutional, but you could understand a little better at least. In this case, my goodness, man, we used to believe in this thing called a compelling interest, that government 
could not act on something like this without a compelling interest. And all of the data, all the science, all the facts say that they don't have a compelling interest to do this to the whole population. They're not doing what we would call narrowly tailored. Uh, it, it's not at all the least restrictive means of dealing with this issue. So in my opinion, they're unconstitutional all over the place. Eventually, I think the courts will catch up. I'm just I'm really sad that it's taken the courts so long. They all kicked the can down the road. Very few courts ruled on the injunctions. Now, some did. We had a few good federal decisions at the local level, a few state Supreme Courts that said you don't have a compelling interest. This isn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. And you cannot tell people what to do in their own homes or keep healthy people from going to work. Eventually, I think we'll get there. But man, another round of craziness, it looks like. Yeah, speaking about that, that round of craziness, so let me read you from a Fox News article over the weekend. Uh, this is uh, from foxnews.com. But on Sunday, uh, Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak, a Democrat, issued a ban on private gatherings, private gatherings of more than 10 people, becoming just the latest state executive to cap socialization of private residences. Minnesota last week banned social gatherings of more than one household. Kentucky capped gatherings at eight people from two households. you got to do some math here. Oregon limited gatherings to six people from two households, and Michigan limited gatherings to two households with no specific limit on a number of people. We haven't even gotten to Pennsylvania, which, of course, means you have to, what, wear a mask in your house if there's other people that are not from your house? I mean, Rick, Unbelievable. Where, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Honestly, I don't. Well, and these are the same people, to make it worse, these are the same people issuing these dictates that go out and, and celebrate on election day with thousands of people shoulder to shoulder, that have marched with people in the streets shoulder to shoulder. Uh, they're hypocrites. They're complete hypocrites. It's all about rules for you and not for me. We've seen them now going out to restaurants, not wearing masks while they force us to do so. The ridiculousness of trying to wear a mask from the entrance to your seat, but then everybody's without a mask. I mean, people know this doesn't make sense, but you kind of nailed it at the beginning. A lot of people are in real fear here, and we don't want a COVID shame. We want to leave it up to the individual to decide, and that's what our Constitution calls for as well. And, and I am really hoping, and I'm looking for the Supreme Court to step in at some point. They, again, they passed on it back in the summer. Roberts did not want to rule on an injunction. But now some of these cases have actually gone through trial. They've got the evidence. It should get back to the Supreme Court. And at some point, they've got to say to these dictators, hey, guys, remember what a republic is. Legislatures make these decisions. And even then, the legislatures, uh, there's no COVID exception in the Constitution. You do not have the right to infringe on our right to free speech, our right yeah. to assemble, our right to worship. All of these things are being infringed upon. In fact, it's hard to find a part of the Bill of Rights that hasn't been violated based on COVID. And the science doesn't back it up. The Constitution certainly doesn't back it up. But, David, it's not going to end until we end it. Tyrants do not give up power willingly. We've got to have civil disobedience. People have got to open up their businesses. They've got to gather for Thanksgiving. They've got to say you're not going to trample on our individual rights. And some people are going to get fined. Some may even go to jail for simply opening up their gym like those guys in New Jersey. I consider those guys to be heroes. Yeah. Um, the pastors that are being fined and, and I mean, these hero pastors in California, folks like Rob McCoy and, and Jack Hibbs and John MacArthur, uh, we need more like that. Ken Graves out in Maine, these pastors that are standing up and saying, not on my watch. We're going to make sure that we can uphold our constitutional rights. We as individuals have got to start doing that as well. And Rick, it all starts with knowing your rights. And if you go to right. your if you go to your website, that's exactly what it says. Know your rights. And that's where the Constitution coach, what you're doing comes into play. Explain to people how, how they can get more information, uh, what they need to do to make sure they know their rights. 
Yeah, you know, it's so important for us as citizens. I mean, we the people are ultimately in charge of, of this government. But if we don't know our rights, our first chief justice, John Jay, one of the framers of the Constitution, said, if you don't know your rights, how are you going to know when they've been violated? And that's really what 2020 has been all about, violating our rights all over the place. But, but since we didn't know our rights, we didn't even realize they were being violated, and we didn't know how to properly defend and assert them. That's the way John Jay put it. So we're teaching people how to do that. We've been doing this for 10 years. We've had about 150,000 people go through the course. It's a fun way to learn history in the Constitution. It's not your typical boring government class. We make it really exciting. I actually teach the class in Independence Hall. So I'm standing in the room where it was framed, and we're encouraging folks to host the class in their living rooms, in their churches, all over the country. We've got about 3,700 Constitution coaches now across the country hosting these classes. And we're doing a big one on Monday nights. Anybody can join. Go to the website, and you can even join us tonight. Constitutioncoach.com. Over 10,000 people. It's the largest Constitution class in history, and you can be part of it. You think this is going to end anytime soon, or are you real concerned about the future of this country in about 30 seconds or so? I think we're going to be fighting this for at least another six months to a year. Um, hopefully, there'll be some safe havens. I'm hoping some counties. I think Daniel Horowitz was right to call on counties to to basically become uh, safe havens where no none of this COVID uh, uh, fascism is going to be forced on their citizens. So we're asking citizens and local officials to start standing up to this nonsense. Rick Green, great to see you again. America's Constitution coach, thanks for everything. Really appreciate you. You bet, David. Good to see you, man. All right. That's Rick Green down in Texas. You can tell he's from Texas. He don't mess around. He talk like this. I don't know. That doesn't sound like Texas. That, I'm from New York doing a Texas accent, and that this is what you get. You get this. Which, what is that, actually? Anyhow, somewhere between Texas and New York, which is, what, Kentucky? I don't know. All right. Back in a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, time now for the last sip. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this is going to be a hodgepodge. I'm going to be all over the place, which is kind of like the whole show, because <laughs> we're all over the place every single day. Uh, but this is really going to be all over the place, because I'd just like to start and tell you a little bit about what I'm doing for Thanksgiving. Not that you care, really, uh, but we're going, I'm going to tell you right now, and go ahead, call the COVID police, uh, but I'm doing 12 uh, at, at the big house. That's not, not, not I'm not having Thanksgiving at, at the jail. Uh, I'm having it at my house. Uh, and we're having 12 people. And uh, now I'll be honest with you. One of my children uh, who, you know, kind of ranks down on the list. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we weren't going to have them there based on COVID. We're like, hey, I don't know. We kind of like you. We're not quite sure some days. Uh, but we decided, no, hey, we're going we're gonna to invite all of you. Uh, so, so there's my COVID uh, Thanksgiving plans. Uh, we're, we're making the turkey, by the way. Hey, on a separate note, I told you it was going to be hodgepodge. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what Jake Tapper put up on Twitter regarding President Trump. Can we go to that? Thank you so much for, as we call in the business, the full screen uh, graphic. This is what Jake Tapper said about Trump. Look at this. This normally might be a time when folks reflect on the outgoing president's achievements. The Middle East, peace deals, Operation Warp Speed, USMCA. 
but his determination to undo the results of the free and fair election based on deranged conspiracy theories is hampering that. Hey, can I just say something real quick? I would love it. Can we keep that up? Thank you so much, Parker. Uh, can we go to it full again? I'd like to reread one part of this right here where he says the president's achievements and inside there it says Operation Warp Speed. Hold on for a second. Hold on. Let me understand. Now, look, uh, typically I watch reruns of Little House on the Prairie, but I also watch CNN at times, all right? And when I watch CNN, all they talk about all day long is how Trump was horrible, horrible on COVID. That's the reason he lost the election. There was no leadership. He doesn't know what he's doing. Give me a break on a vaccine. A vaccine is never going to come. And then, here, here we go again, full screen, please. Jake Tapper is now saying one of the president's achievements is Operation Warp Speed. I'm dumbfounded. And I'll be honest with you, I'm dumbfounded a lot uh, based on the fact that, you know, hey, the intellect sometimes doesn't register every single day. But at the same time, are you kidding me? Come on, Jake Tapper. Your own network was criticizing this man for eons and eons. And when it came to COVID, you were on his case every single day. And now all of a sudden, Operation Warp Speed is like a crowning achievement. <sighs> Pathetic. You can still come to Thanksgiving, though. Back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, we're here at the end of the show, uh, and we want to bring in Sophie Mann from JustTheNews.com. Sophie, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, you know, David Letterman used to have, like, a top 10 list all the time. This yeah. This is, like, what, a top 12 list? We've got 12 hits today, what, maybe more you, tomorrow. Great. Keep on, keep them coming. What do you got? Uh, this is about election fraud, obviously. This is about election fraud. So, I mean, the continuing story um, of the election that happened a couple of weeks now is is what happened in a lot of uh, places. There continue to be multiple legal cases coming out of the Trump campaign, coming from private citizens that are in some ways affiliated with the Trump campaign, about what happened in these various uh, battleground states that are causing people now to allege that a number of uh, things happened that worked against the integrity of the U.S. election. So what we have on the site right now that I would encourage everybody to check out, if what you're looking for is sort of a succinct understanding of what's going on. I think a lot of people are looking for that. I would think way. so. I mean, honestly, like yeah. me too. Um, yeah. is, is a list of the various uh, just little and or big instances of things that are happening. So be that um, a social worker in Texas who, you know, stuffed ballots for um, people in the nursing home she was overseeing which, you know, that, that's not a huge number of ballots, but it's it's an example of something. It's a data point that, you know, helps us see a bigger picture. Ballot um, harvesting, by the way. Exactly. Potential. Yes. Or if it's, um, you know, thousands of ballots that were not counted in Georgia that were found during the audit and maybe even still not counted this time. And, you know, they're going to a second recount. Georgia, like, is on everyone's mind at this point. Um, so just lots of instances like that. You have Antrim County, Michigan, where the, the results were called and they were uncalled. Michigan last week with their certification drama. Um, we sort of just give um, 
a succinct understanding of what's happening with those sorts of moments. And um, what's what's interesting is that I feel like what we've been hearing over and over again from both supporters and critics of you know these stories is it does not equal, no one instance equals massive voter fraud. So I think our question right now is, what does equal massive voter fraud? Is it a number or is it a number of instances? Does it mean that the election mm. was stolen or does it mean that voter fraud is happening in big enough numbers that even if Donald Trump did not win the election, voter fraud is still happening and it's something we want to know about. So this is sort of just piecing those um, puzzle pieces together to to create a bigger picture and of course we'll you know the the reading audiences who decides that mm -hmm. but um, we want to keep everyone as informed as possible and I would encourage people to check it out well and we will justthenews.com yeah all right and it's interesting because you know go from there was no the media saying no voter fraud now well maybe a little bit more widespread now systemic you know they keep changing the yeah agreed thank you Sophie mm -hmm. diamond and silk on the show tomorrow plus truckers striking see you tomorrow Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.